Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Um, I said something funny about... Okay, I already don't believe that. <laughs> he already knows it's a lie. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey, I have some some news. Um, I found out that my girlfriend works with bees. Oh? Yeah, she's definitely a keeper. <laughs> Matt always manages to catch us off guard with this. Dana, it's funny to hear you laugh at that one rather than just me. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to break through your shell. I, I like that one. That was a good joke. <laughs> your stoic somber shell. <laughs> yeah. uh, next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, that's Dana Roach. Um. In an effort to send a message to all the other content creators out there, I've been breaking the gingerbread man they're getting in the mail for uh, Eldraine. So <laughs> all the, uh, the, yeah, I mean, so so they know we're we're coming for them. Wow, that's the weirdest that nerd mafia f- ever. <laughs> that's the uh, that is a weird threat, a weird flex, and also all completely false. And I'm Joey Schultz, <laughs> author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? We have the Commander Pre- Recon Upgrade Guide. That's right. On EDHREC, there is a feature that better allows to, you know, let you see what cards people are most often adding to the new precons and what cards they tend to be subtracting. It's a really great tool on EDHREC to help you out when you've just got a brand new deck that not a lot of people actually know about. So we wanted to discuss that and look over the cards that people are removing and adding to those new decks. You guys ready? Absolutely. I'm very ready. Before we get there, though... I just wanted to ask, now in the wake of Magic Fest Vegas, do we have any other final thoughts? Matt, we are so happy that you are back. We sincerely, sincerely missed you. I missed you guys as well. It was good to get away, but I'm glad that Carlos kept you on your toes and delivered dad jokes while I was gone. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, he's been he's been hitting me up. He knows that one of my co-hosts was not with me over the weekend, so he's been sending me quite a lot of dad jokes in, in your absence. Uh, you're having a, a horrible effect on my oh, husband. Oh, whatever. He, he's learning from the best. There, there were multiple <laughs> times over the course of the weekend when we needed someone to lift something heavy and you weren't around, Matt. So that was really oh. kind of a, a bummer for us. Wow. I'm, I'm more than just a strong body for you to oogle at. <laughs> right, right. My eyes are up here. Uh, so let me put it this way. I missed you. Dana, I guess, barely noticed that you were gone. <laughs> well, either way, I, uh, I am, so yeah, I am there... glad to be back. It is good to hear you guys' voices again. It was nice to get away. I got a little bit of a, a suntan, but my ghost-like figure, I'm, I'm pale again. Sorry. <laughs> we had a lot of people that asked where you were. You were, you were absolutely missed. I was in the room, actually. I was just invisible because that's how pale I am. You are a ninja. You're a ninja. You could not tell. Also, 
<laughs> Again, weird flex and completely false. <laughs> So anyway, I also wanted to ask, you know, in the wake of Magic Fest Vegas, you know, if there are any other final thoughts uh, that we had about um, our impressions of that time, or if there are any new decks that we've been inspired to build ever since then. Um, I, I'm finally, I, I realized I have not built a new deck this calendar year. Um, so now that the new commander decks are out, I feel like it's maybe safe to build with something from last year's decks. And I've been wanting to build an extra combat steps deck. So I'm currently trying to use uh, Farchild, Betrayer of Keldor, Mono Red, for my extra combat steps commander. Uh, if that doesn't work out, I might try Melok uh, is a Paragon, but my, my first go is Varchild. So the last couple cards I needed are, are due in the mail, I think, tomorrow. So by next week, I should be able to check back in and let you guys know how that experiment has gone. Dana, I love your deck building strategy. It's not just that you want to be a super hipster doing something that no one else is doing with all of your decks. So, for example, if you do end up using Melek, you'll be doubling combat spells off the top of yeah. your deck with Melek. Doing an is it combat centric build, which is not what people would typically expect from an is it spellslinger deck that usually is seen with Melek. Not only is it that level of hipster, but you have to go even one more step past that and say, now that everyone else is focused on Commander 20. 2019 now i can look at the things that might have come out last year like with varchild that's yeah i <laughs> like, mean if i'm being honest that's exactly what it is i'm like it's safe i don't have to worry about somebody else in the tri-state area having built the same deck so <laughs> you can't out hipster dana because <laughs> dana has out hipstered himself exactly that's absolutely amazing so speaking of Commander 2019, I wanted to make a quick observation about a commander from those precons that's been rising in the ranks compared to some of its other contemporaries. We made a mention on our review episode that we saw that Atla Palani Nest Tender from the Naya Populate deck, the Egg Lady, who polymorphs her eggs when they die, uh, she's been occupying the number one slot, which is definitely really cool, but we've actually seen that Angie Falconrath has been climbing to the number two position. I think she was in fourth or fifth place last time that we checked, but now Angie is in the number two position from the Commanders from Commander 2019, followed closely by Kyrick, son of Yawgmoth, and Elsha of the Infinite, but it's just nice to see that one of the Rakdos Madness folks is actually climbing up in the ranks a little bit. Um, I've ran into this deck two different times so far out in the wild. Um, I will be curious to see if it has any staying power at all. It's it's not the most exciting deck to play against. It, it, I think it's strong, but it really lends itself. Like the, the two I've seen were both built kind of the CEDH-ish build with Angie where you're running literally every Madness card possible to basically filter your deck down to hit that World Gorger Dragon combo or hit Living Death or hit whatever. It just really lends itself to like 10 minute turns where everyone's playing on their phone while you try to filter as much stuff into your graveyard as possible. Um, <laughs> it's effective, but like I feel like people are building it right now because it's effective and we'll see how long they want to continue to play that deck that's so goldfishy. Right, that's so interesting that they're using this, uh, you know, her tap to discard a card and then draw a card, but if you discard a card with Madness, you untap her. They're not using that to cast the cards with Madness, they're just using it to untap her to continue filtering till they find those cards. And that Animate Dead World Gorger co Dragon combo definitely fits within these colors, but that's way too complicated for us to try and get into right now. But suffice it to say, it is a combo uh, that definitely this does open up into. So that's kind of an interesting use case to see her. I don't know if that's 100% of the impetus behind her popularity, though. I would imagine not. I mean, I think there's enough casual people out there that don't tend to get towards the super tuned high power combo decks 
Uh, I just think people are just enjoying, you know, having some graveyard shenanigans. Joey, I hate to admit it, but your your graveyard shenanigans <gasps> might be popular. Might be. Um, yeah. but, it, but it is kind of cool yeah. that Enya Falcon Wraith is uh, uh, moving <laughs> on up, if you will. And it is, it, we, we totally called it too that uh, even though when we did our guild update episode a few few weeks ago, we noticed that Rakdos was the least built guild, and now that's probably rising back up because of Angie Falconrath. Yeah, her and Graven and the new chainer definitely giving a boost to the Rakdos color pair, so it's not going to stay on the bottom for long because of these new uh, injections, these new influx into the format, and Anya's definitely climbing up, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, just a little bit of a shift that we were able to see since our review episode. There's been, you know, some stuff moving around. It'll be interesting to see in another couple weeks if there are even more shifts on that page, too. All right, for now, let's get into our precon upgrade main topic here. This is a little bit hidden on the website, but it is a very cool feature, the precon upgrade. So if you were to go, I'll use Angie Falconrath as an example, if you were to go to her page on EDHREC, you'd see her picture, you'd see the average type distribution pie chart that's on her page, you'd see how many decks there are to her name, and then you can also use a couple of other uh, features that we've talked about in the past. For example, you can see her main themes like madness or folks who use her as a vampire tribal. You can filter the results that you get on EDHREC to those particular things. You can see the budget uh, expensive and the budget cheap options too if you want to filter down to just the top 10% most expensive deck lists or the uh, top excuse me the bottom 10% least expensive deck list there's a lot of different options there but one of them that you can see there beneath her as a commander or as a card which means if you would like to see the page for her when she's included in the 99 or when she's at the head of the 99 beneath those there's also that button for precon upgrades you can click on that and it will take you to the page for the merciless rage upgrade guide for the entire 99 the entire deck not just angie herself you'll be able to see the cards that people add most often and the cards that people cut most often from that precon, which can be really, really great when you're looking for some ideas about what to do when you're looking to upgrade the deck for the first time. This is a really cool feature. Have you guys ever used it before? Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I usually use it a year later to look back at the you know, previous, <laughs> previous year's commanders to see uh, what I want to do with. So it's it's Because it's, you don't build right. those decks until a year has passed right, when you're exactly. trying to out-hipster yourself. All right, fair enough. Matt, what about you? Um, I have not. I don't actually build a whole bunch of pre-con commanders, so I haven't used it a whole bunch. I did use it for Mary a little bit, but then I realized that every pre-con recommendation for Mary was a bunch of cats. So that wasn't very helpful. So I have not used it a whole bunch myself, but I know since I looked at it last, uh, our team has been working really hard on upgrading it, making it a little bit smoother, easier to kind of digest all the information. So the next time I do go to a, a pre-con commander, I probably will start there, yes. Well, and that's just it. Like you said, they've been working on upgrading this feature, and it's definitely paying off. There's also kind of something that I'd want to mention. You had talked there about uh, Miri. A lot of the recommendations that you were getting on Miri, whether like Duelist, who came from the, the Cat Tribal Precon, you were getting a lot of Cat Tribal recommendations from that, and that's not necessarily what Miri is about. And hopefully we've been able to filter a bit of that around now, too. And that's an important thing to notice about this feature. It applies to the entirety of the deck and not to any specific commander. The number of decks that we see on the Precon 
Icon Upgrade Guide page is actually smaller than the real number of decks for that commander within the total EDH rec database. To fit within the scope of the Precon Upgrade Guide, the site is looking for decks online that still seem similar enough to the original Precon to register as having been upgraded from that Precon. You know, it doesn't just assume that all Angie Falconrath decks were built directly from the Precon. Some people just pick up the singles. They just pick up one copy of Miss Falconrath and then use that and they don't have the entire Precon to build from. The site evaluates the body of the 99 more than it evaluates the specific commander. So for example, when you're looking at these different pages, that's why we see Gired and Atla Palani at the top of the Primal Genesis page, but we don't see Marisi. Marisi is so different than, the, than those other decks that it barely registers as having originated from that Precon. Or as another example, that's why we only see Kadena at the top of the Faceless Menace Precon upgrade page. The other two commanders, Volrath and Rayami, are just so categorically different from the 99 of Kadena's Precon that they wouldn't necessarily register within this particular field. So that's just another sort of behind the scenes look on how the upgrade feature actually works to try and give you more specialized things. And it bases it off of the entire deck rather than just one specific commander. So hopefully you get more specialized things for the commander that you're looking at. Yeah, that was one thing that when I was first looking through the Precon upgrade, when we had finally gotten Commander 19 up, I was a little confused because I was looking at it and thought, I'm pretty sure Marisi came in this this year's precons, but I'm not seeing it. So I am <laughs> glad that we are able to clear that up because I even was a little confused. Uh, so thank you, Joseph. We are all learning today. Yeah, so let's now move on to that page. Let's look at the Precon Upgrade Guide page on EDHREC for the Naya Populate deck. We're going to look at some of the cards that we like that people are adding, that we think maybe people shouldn't be adding, the cards that we like that people are getting rid of, and some of the cards that maybe we think people shouldn't be getting rid of as well. So Matt, I know that you like that Naya Populate deck. What are some cards that people are frequently adding to that Precon to upgrade? I, I do love Naya Populate. I love tokens. I love Naya colors. So yes, I... I am all on board with this, and I, I really actually uh, enjoy what people are doing here. Uh, so the first one that we're going to talk about is Geared Conclave Exile. He's two and Naya Color, so red, green, white. For 2-5, when he enters the battlefield, you create a 4-4 green rhino creature token with trample, and whenever Geared attacks, you populate the token, enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. So Geared loves, loves, loves big fat tokens, stuff like Armada Worm, which is being added to 36 to 37% of decks. Uh, Atla Palani is the other commander that is being played with as a precon. Atla Palani is one in Naya colors, so also red, green, and white for a 2-3 that reads two, tap it to create a 0-1 green egg creature with defender. Whenever an egg creature or whenever an egg you control dies, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card, put that card onto the battlefield and the rest of the bottom of your library in a random order. So Atla Palani likes to have big creatures to cheat out. She's almost kind of like a, a different type of Mael. But those are the two commanders that are being played as precons, or at least register as something that came from a precon. We did mention Marisi kind of gets skipped over because people are building it so differently. So a lot of the recommendations that you're going to see on this page aren't really going to work for Marisi, which does make sense considering she does something very different where Whenever a creature you control deals damage to a player, it goads all their all the, that player's creatures. So yeah, a lot of these recommendations we're going to talk about don't make sense for Marisi. So of the cards on the list that are being added to the deck, Matt, which ones do you like? Well, obviously, Anointed Procession and Parallel Lives, those two are pretty much carbon copies of each other. One is white and one is green. But basically, there's enchantments that read, if an effect would create one or more tokens under your control, it creates twice that many type, types of tokens. 
So yeah, if you're creating big fat tokens, say you're even creating four fours with Geared's ability, you're getting two rhinos or four or however many exponential that you want to get with. Um, but stuff like Flame Shadow Conjuring, I really like. That way you can play stuff that is very big, pay that one mana. So I'll just read Flame Shadow Conjuring actually for you guys. Uh, it is three and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one red mana. If you do, put a token on the battlefield that's a copy of that creature. That token gains haste and exile it at the beginning of the next end step. So when you are playing those big creatures, you can make those tokens, then Gearhead can attack, populate that token again. So it's a, it's a very easy way to get out of hand. Uh, it is kind of fun, actually, to go down and see Godsire. Uh, I had to remember Godsire is not a legendary creature, but Godsire is just an 8-8 with Vigilance that you can tap and put an 8-8 beast creature token on, on into play that's red, green, and white. Now, granted, Godsire costs 8 mana, but I really like Godsire as a very top end, and you make enormous tokens with Godsire, something that is very good with Gearit again. Yeah, and so a lot of these cards are showing up as being very popular inclusions, like Anointed Procession, uh, the enchantments that you mentioned, Flame Shadow Conjuring. Those are up in like you know thirty four percent, forty percent of people are adding those. Godsire is a little bit lower on the list at seventeen percent, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad card necessarily. It's more of an expensive card now than anything, and it's a great inclusion for sure. Is there any other specific card that you think you know? Oh man, absolute must include, super blows you away in this deck too. So one card that I think people are adding that I I like the most that I think doesn't get enough attention is actually Bramble Sovereign. Uh, so Bramble Sovereign is two green green for a 4-4 four, four Dryad. Whenever a, another non-token creature enters the battlefield, you may pay one in a green. If you do, that creature's controller creates a copy uh, or creates a token that's a copy of that creature. Uh, so this is kind of like Flame Shadow Conjuring. Uh, it's not being played in near as many decks. It's only being added in 23% of the Naya Tokens decks. But what I really like about it is you get to keep those tokens. Flame Shadow Conjuring, you pay one red, and that token goes away at the end of the at the end of the end step. Bramble Sovereign, you get to keep that token, and that's one thing I really, really like. And I think people should be looking to that card a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that's why Helm of the Host is probably so popular in the Gear Red deck, too. 54% of people are adding Helm of the Host. And one of the cool things about all those cards you're mentioning is that they allow you to create tokens of regular creatures, yes. which can have awesome enter-the-battlefield effects. I mean, like Gearhead himself. So you're getting the ability to populate even more nuanced and complicated and really powerful types of creatures beyond just the regular 4-4 tokens or the 1-1 bird tokens or the 3-3 beasts and stuff like that. Those are definitely very, very potent. I really like those inclusions. But now I gotta ask you, are there any cards on this list that people seem to be adding that you would recommend that they not add to the deck? So you actually have to go down a little bit to find a card that I don't like. Um, I'm kind of lukewarm on Hammer of Perforos. I had Hammer in my Omnath Locus of Rage deck for a while. Having a Haste Enabler is great and all, but if you look at a few cards down, you'll see Samut Voice of Descent, which is just a five drop that gives all your creatures haste. I like that a little bit more, but the card I'm going to call out is only being played in 14% of decks, so it's it's not being played a ton, but I really don't like it. It's Huatli Radiant Champion. So Huatli is two green-white for a three-starting loyalty planeswalker, and basically you can tick her up to put a loyalty counter on her for each creature you control. Now, I know with tokens you're, you're normally creating a lot of them, but if you're playing with either of these two commanders out of the precon, you're probably going with big tokens, not a lot of smaller tokens. Uh, depending on mm. the way that you season the deck, 
you might be able to go a little bit wider, but Huatli wants to go very, very wide. And I think Geared especially wants to go very big with the tokens that he's creating, not making a bunch of little ones, having multiple populate effects each turn. Uh, I think that's something that, depending on your build, might be a little better. But I, I don't really like Huatli in these types of decks right here. Well, especially because her other abilities seem to synergize along those same mm-hmm. lines. Her plus one gives her loyalty. Her minus one buffs up a creature equal to the number of creatures you control, which, again, if you're going tall already, not very wide, doesn't necessarily right. uh, add up. And that that minus ability for the ultimate, the minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Even the ultimate doesn't necessarily appeal to you, too, or do you think it's just too difficult to acquire? I, I I'm going to do the exact same thing that you do to me. We never judge a planeswalker off their ultimate. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) That makes sense to me. And usually, like, to a degree sometimes in this kind of deck where you are in a perfect world going to be running doubling season, Mm -hmm. it it is a little bit attractive to eyeball that ultimate because you have the option to bring the planeswalker in and auto-ult it, basically. But you can't even do that with Huali. You can't. Because she starts at three loyalty and and it's a minus eight. You don't even have that advantage here. Correct. And I think that's another reason. Not that the ultimate isn't powerful, because it definitely is. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely token decks where you can tick up Watley and the next turn ultimate hurt. That's definitely doable. I, I just, I think Girid likes to have big tokens, not a lot of smaller ones. And I think for Girid decks, especially, Watley's probably not the best card to be adding. So let's move on now to the cards that are most often being cut from the Primal Genesis pre-con, uh, pre-con deck. When we scroll down the page, we don't just see the cards that people are adding most frequently. We also see cards that they're removing. What are the standouts among this list? I, I, where, how much time you got? I, I like a, a good portion of, to- of cards <laughs> that people are cutting. Uh, the, the most cut card is Tectonic Helion, um, or Helion, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, but it's five red red for an eight five with haste. Whenever Tectonic Hellion attacks, each player uh, who controls the most lands sacrifices two lands. It's just really expensive for a stone rain and it's going to get chumped, something like that. I, I'm i not really keen on it, so I'm glad people are cutting that. If you're playing any sort of like copy uh, triggered ability effects, it gets a little better, but it's just it's very, very expensive. Uh, Scare Tiller, I know we're all kind of lukewarm on Scare Tiller. That's getting cut from 82% of decks. Tangarth, First Mate, uh, getting cut from 77% of decks. None of these really add into the token theme. Uh, Commander's Insignia, another thing that, you know, if you're going wide, it makes more sense to have an Anthem type of effect. But 74% of the pre-cons are cutting Commander's Insignia because most often than not, they're, they're just trying to land one big creature, populate that out. So I'm glad people are cutting that. Uh, well, to, to go back to Tectonic Hellion for a second, it's not that it's not a semi-interesting card, because I think maybe there's a place for it. I just think that place isn't in a green deck where you're right. going to very frequently <laughs> be the person controlling the most lands. Yeah, and yeah, definitely a weird inclusion. In yeah, the deck. and I'm not saying that any of these cards are bad. I don't think they're good in this deck, in, in, in a Girid yeah. or an Atla Palani deck. Uh, especially, but the cards that I'm, I think I'm most glad that people are cutting is Tristani's Judgment. It's five and a white for instant that says exile target creature, then populate six mana for basically a sword to plowshares, a path to exile. You can get so much more efficient removal with upside than Tristani's Judgment. So definitely glad that 62% of decks are cutting that. I think that number probably should be a little more. I, I can't imagine even. You know, Desolation Twin 1010 tokens that I want to populate. 
I still don't think that's worth six mana. It's so much mana to keep up. And Dana, you, you're probably going to argue this better than I can, but holding six mana up, it's Ugh. very, very hard to do. And I think yeah, there are sometimes absolutely. there are some abilities like um, uh, Wanderer Strike was uh, was a card that was in uh, War of the Spark, and the ability to proliferate on a you know not great spell in a Super Friends deck is maybe sometimes worth casting that bad spell if you to put an extra loyalty counter on like three or four Planeswalkers and that bumps them into alt range and changes a bunch of math. I think there are times it's worth playing a bad spell to get that keyword, I don't think it's worth playing a bad spell to just get one more token, even if it's a big token. Definitely. Super agree. So then, Matt, is there a card that people are removing that you don't think that they should be removing? Um, so there's a few. I, I, I don't hate Slice and Twain because it cantrips. It's not the best removal spell, but it's versatile. I, I don't mind it. Uh, Explore is rarely a bad card. Uh, even if you just use it to cantrip and maybe you get to play a little bit of a uh, little bit of a ramp effect, Explorer's not bad. But the card that I I think people should not be cutting, uh, it's getting cut from forty percent of the token deck so far. But it's Emma Tandris. It's five green white for a five seven legendary elf shaman that says prevent all damage that would be dealt to creature tokens you control. So you are playing red, so you have access to earthquake, anger the gods, any number of damage based board wipes. I think if you want something that's going to protect your your tokens that you spend time amassing, I think Amara is probably a good way to protect those from any of your red-based board wipes. Uh, it's not the best. I can see why a lot of people want to cut it because it is seven mana, and that's a bunch for this effect. But I think of all the cards that are cutting, that's the one that I probably would keep myself more often than not. Yeah, and I also definitely agree. It's a pretty clunky card, if nothing else, but you are hitting upon something important. This deck, Gearhead, the Populate Access to Red, is doing something that most Populate decks that we've seen in the past didn't usually have access to, and that's stuff like a damage-based board wipe. Mm -hmm. So there are ways that you can manipulate that. So even if it is still getting you know cut more often, you're bringing up an excellent point to you know be aware of the new doors that Access to Red opens up for this particular strategy. It is slightly different than what we're all used to so that's definitely a very useful thing to keep in mind yeah the, all right the one knock i would say against uh her is also because you are in colors with access to heroic intervention and boros charm and right. um you know fairies protection and rootborn defenses which does also do some population or does have a populate trigger on it so i do think the biggest strike against her is there are other options that don't cost seven mana as well um, well, but, you know, Teferi's Protection is not a cheap card. Heroic Intervention is not no. a cheap card either. And uh, Amara comes with a deck and is a quarter. So right. um, it, it's a logical budget inclusion for sure to protect yourself. Yeah, and if you look at the additions, 14% of decks are adding Boros Charm, which people should be doing. 14% of decks are adding Heroic Intervention. So, yeah. But then again, 40% are cutting Amara. So even if you combine those two Heroic Intervention and Boros Charm additions, they're not accounting for all the Amaras that are taken out. So I think it's kind of a give and take. Um but sure. I mean, you look at Blasphemous Act, which is one of the most played red cards in the format, you're more than likely going to be adding Blasphemous Act to your tokens deck because you always need some way out. So Amara's is a good way to protect your own side. Yep. It, it depends. I, I could see people going either way, but you do bring up a good point. You know, there's a good, good parallel to Boros Charm, Heroic Intervention, those types of cards. 
Yeah, as the deck continues to tune itself up, that again could be something that gets cut too, but for now, just keep your eye out for synergies that Red opens up the doors to. Speaking of Red, I would like to move on to our next precon. We're going to start looking at Merciless Rage, which is helmed by Miss Angie Falconrath. So, as a reminder, this is the Rakdos Madness deck. Miss Angie Falconrath is 3 mana for a 1-3 legendary vampire with haste that allows you to tap, discard a card, and then draw a card. And whenever you discard a card, if it had madness, you untap Angie Falconrath. And keep in mind, you don't just have to discard a card with her own ability, that's whenever you discard a card. You can also discard cards with the other, apparently most popular commander from this deck, Chainer Nightmare Adept. He's the 4-mana 3-2 human minion that allows you to discard cards to cast creatures from your graveyard this turn, and when creatures enter the battlefield, if you didn't cast them from your hand, he gives them haste. Really interesting discard enabler. We've got a bunch of cards that are being added to this discard-themed deck, and I think they're super, super spicy. The most popular addition to the precon for Rakdos Madness is Archfiend of Ifnir, showing up in 64% of the new decks. Archfiend of Ifnir, 5 mana, 5, 4 demon with flying. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, you put a minus 1, minus 1 counter on each creature your opponents control, and it has cycling itself. But man, I never want to cycle that card away. That is such a delicious option because these commanders can discard so many cards and completely reduce to rubble the rest of the field. Speaking of discarding, we've got a bunch of other options on this page that are showing up there too, like Faithless Looting. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. That's a great way to get some Madness outlets as well. But probably one of my favorites that's being added to this Madness deck is the card Anger. That's three and a red for a 2-2 hasty incarnation creature, but you're never going to play this. What you're actually going to do is discard it. As long as Anger is in your graveyard and you control a mountain, creatures you control have haste. So this is just a really cool way if you're playing all that Madnessy good stuff, you can discard this card from your hand and it will have more use in the graveyard. And you know that Joey likes it when stuff has use in the graveyard. Well, I mean, this is a perfect deck for Anger. Like, if, 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 if you were a big fan of the card Anger and you asked someone to design a commander to run Anger in your deck, <laughs> this is probably what it would look like. Well, I, I think Archfiend of Ifnir is exactly that as well. I mean, <laughs> same, same yeah, thing. Yeah. When, whenever you discard <laughs> right, a card yeah. and whenever your commander says, hey, discard a card, probably something you want to be considering at least. Yeah, there's one more card that I will shout out that I think also has some cool synergies. And Dana, the ANG Falcon Rat decks that you ran into might have been running this card too, uh, as part of that uh, that combo stuff that they were doing. This is the card Shadow of the Grave. This is from Almonket. It's a two mana black instant that returns to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. So with Angie, you can actually discard a bunch of cards and then get them all back with this spell to start madnessing all over again, which is definitely a very unique way to approach card advantage. These are definitely some spicy inclusions that I'm really, really all about. However, there is a card on this list that I'm not so hot on that people seem to be adding quite a lot, and that is another legendary card that says Madness on it in these colors. It's Olivia Mobilized for War. Also a 3-mana vampire, she's a 3-3 with flying, and she says whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may discard a card. If you do, you put a plus 1 counter on that creature, it gains haste until end of turn, and it becomes a vampire in addition to its other types. This is the, quote, Madness Rakdos commander that we got uh, back in Shadows Over Innistrad when we were getting a lot of cards with Madness, but I don't think she ever necessarily delivered, and I don't think she delivers here either. 
both Chainer and Angie Falconrath are already so good at discarding cards that I just don't think that Olivia is necessary as a new outlet for that. And the reward that you get, a plus one counter and some haste, I just don't think it's worth it compared to some of the other stuff that the deck is already capable of doing. So sorry, Olivia, 24% of people are adding you to this precon, but I'm not sure that I agree with them. The problem with Olivia is the things she does, I don't think that they're not good. It's a, they don't stack with Angie at all. She gives the creature haste, which Angie already has. She allows you to discard something, which Angie's already going to be doing by with, with a tap ability. It makes a creature a vampire, which Angie already is. So, right. so of the three of the four things she does, only one of them is actually something that that is useful, and that's to put a plus one counter on your commander. I, and it, I don't think it's worth running a creature just to do that at all. So I think it's not so much a problem that her abilities are bad. It's that they're just completely redundant with the commander that's going to be atop this deck. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the ability is bad, but I think that the redundant argument is a lot more eloquent. Sure. So yeah, let's go with what you said. <laughs> Uh, so now let's move on looking at this uh, page. Let's move on to the cards that people are cutting most often. There's actually quite a, an interesting list here. Aeon Engine, the artifact that reverses the turn order, that's being cut from 80% of decks. People don't seem to be about it, and I can get why. This doesn't seem like a deck that's abusing that ability very much, and it also is a little bit clunky to enable. Uh, Hedonist's Trove is a very weird and very expensive enchantment that exiles cards from another person's graveyard and then allows you to play cards that were exiled this way, but you're already getting some card advantage from all of the, the madness and untappy shenanigans, so you probably don't need it on this clunky of a mana cost. Uh, Scare Chiller is also being cut from this deck. Skyfire Phoenix doesn't seem to be uh, making much of an impact either. But the card that I really like that people are cutting is the card Alchemist's Greeting. This is a 5-mana sorcery that deals 4 damage to target creature, and it has madness for 1 and a red. Now, this is a card with madness. You'd think that I'd be all about it, right? Because it's a Rakdos Madness deck. But this is being cut from 59% of decks, and I guess it's not really difficult to see why. Just because it says Madness on it doesn't mean that it's a good card. At best, you are using this card to discard and then pay 2 mana to deal 4 damage to something that it may or may not kill. But, like, honestly, you could just be playing a Lightning Bolt and you don't have to go through all of those motions, and you'd get a damage spell that's probably just as effective. And 4 damage just isn't very effective. So even though this card says Madness on it, I'm glad that people are correctly cutting this card. Just because it says Madness on it doesn't mean that it's necessarily super synergistic with the deck and what you need it to be doing. Yeah, this card definitely suffers from Red's biggest weakness in single target removal and being damage base, and it's, it just doesn't scale very well. I think you're better off just playing a Doom Blade. That way you can hold it up. You're not bound to timing restrictions like with Alchemist Greeting. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. This card is not very good. I do think in looking at this list of, of cards to cut, I think we probably shouldn't be offended at all that the uh, first card on the list being cut is one that was previewed by Joey in a video. And, hey. and the second most popular card being cut is one that I previewed on CMBR Central. I don't, think, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's a reflection on either of us, Joey. Wow, I didn't think about that at all. And you just made me extremely self-conscious. Thank you so much, You're Dana. You're welcome. That was wonderful. Okay. Um, there, there is one more thing before we move on. I do want to touch on a card that is being cut from a lot of the Rakdos Madness deck um, that I don't necessarily think should be. I think that people should linger on this card a little bit longer. That's the card Key to the City. This is being cut from 38% of the decks so far. But I think it's pretty interesting. Key to the City is... 
two mana for an artifact that says tap, discard a card, and up to one target creature cannot be blocked this turn. And whenever it becomes untapped, you may pay two mana, and if you do, you draw a card. Now, I get why this probably looks redundant because Ms. Angie Falconrath is already a discard outlet, and actually so is Chainer, so if you are playing those commanders, you don't necessarily need an effect like this to be able to discard cards. I get why that makes it an appealing thing to cut, but that unblockability, I feel like that's really, really powerful. One of the things that I noticed when I was playing with the pre-cons when I was looking in that environment, it felt like the Rectos Madness deck kind of struggled to close out the game. And one of the ways that you can close out the game is by having a pretty decently big creature that your opponents can't block, and Key to the City does exactly that. Plus, it can kind of refuel itself with, you know, that ability to draw cards as well. It is kind of an extra copy of Ms. A.N.G. Falconrath, but I think that that actually makes it pretty valuable. Unblockability is very nice, and my personal favorite part, this is also a political tool. It doesn't say a creature you control becomes unblockable. It says target creature cannot be blocked, which means you can pick someone else's, so you can actually spend some really sneaky deals with this card, and I think that makes it very appealing. So think about those before you cut Key to the City, because I think it's got some cool stuff. It's a pretty spicy inclusion if you know how to wield it. I mean, I think Key to the City is a pretty good card just in general in a whole lot of decks. And I think this is a deck where it has a lot of additional synergy that the decks where it's already good don't have. So yeah, I, I, it's not one I think that I would be cutting from this deck. Yeah, yeah, and even if it is kind of a you know redundant effect compared to Ms. Angie Falcon, well, she's not always going to be on the battlefield. Right. That's another thing to note too. So if you've cast her twice already and it's difficult to play her, you've got another discard outlet here that is a lot more difficult to remove since it's not a creature. So you know there's benefits on that side too. I think that that makes it pretty valuable. Yeah, it seems like a type of card, kind of like how Dana plays Berserk, where you use it as a political kind of bargaining chip. But it's on the board all the time, too. So people have to keep that in mind. Like, once you get somebody once, the next time you they see it, you can be sure that people are going to say, okay, key to the city's out. It's untapped. How do I have to navigate this combat step? Uh, so it's just it's something exactly. that people are going to be a little on edge once you get them once or twice. Right. Okay, so that was some of the stuff that we're seeing for the Rachnos Madness precon page, but we're going to move on now to Jeskai Flashback, the Mystic Intellect deck. Dana, take it away. All right. So we have two commanders here that are on the top of this list, both of the same CMC, two and Jeskai for uh, five total. You have Savin the Chronoclasm, who's a legendary creature human wizard. Prevent all damage that will be dealt to Savin the Chronoclasm. And whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard each turn, copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the copy. And we have Elsha of the Infinite, who's a legendary creature Jin Monk, who has prowess. And you may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may cast the top card of your library if it's a non-creature, non-land card and you may cast it as though it had flash. So in this case, we have two commanders that do have a little bit of overlap, and I think a lot of the cards that maybe are coming out for one are probably coming out for both. Um, not all of them, but I, I, I do think this is a situation where there's a pretty good amount of um, interplay between the, the changes people are making, regardless of who's at the top of that particular deck. And here's an important thing for us to pause on and note before we continue. Of the previous commanders that we looked at, the precon upgrade feature, the site was scraping data that showed a heavier weight towards the actual face commander. So like Girid was built, being built more popular, even though Atlapalani is a more popular deck overall, the shape of her deck is less scrapable, quote unquote, for the purposes of the precon upgrade feature. So Girid, the, uh, you know, the, the suggestions, the recommendations on the precon upgrade feature are going to be geared a bit more towards his populatability. 
The same is true of the deck that we just went over. Ms. Angie Falconrath was showing up way more popular uh, within the scope of this, uh, the Precon Upgrade Guide, as a similar result, much more popular than Chainer. Here, though, a lot, it's a lot more evenly split. Elsha of the Infinite is showing up sort of keeping pace with Savin. So a lot of these recommendations are not specifically for Savin the way that we might have seen on the previous pages where they were specifically more for the face commander. A lot of these recommendations are being split between the two more evenly. Yeah, and a lot of the spells we're seeing are ones that like when you read them and see what they are, it makes sense that they would be in the deck regardless of who your commander is. The, the number one card being added here is Source to Plowshares. I mean, that one you don't even need to really pay attention to the commander. Source to Plowshares is an amazing spell in any deck that can run it just period. So when you when you go beyond that, looking like, like Gobber and Electromancer, which reduces the cost, cost of instant sorcery spells by one, well, regardless of which of those two commanders you run, that's going to be a useful spell. Sahili Sublime Artificer that makes a... 1-1 um, colorless servo whenever you cast a non-creature spell, both those commanders really utilize that. Mission briefing, young pyromancer, just going down this list of, of all the cards being added here, they're all ones that make complete sense for both of those commanders. So the ones that, that, that really stand out for me that I really like to see in this deck um, that are maybe a little less obvious in Source of Paul Shares, Primal Amulet is a really, really good card on both sides, as a four-mana cost reducer, it's way less fragile than Goblin Electromancer being just an artifact. It's it's way more difficult to remove, and it removes it, it does the same thing, reduces the cost for instant sorceries. Um, in addition to being an artifact, in addition to being tough to remove, there's been a bunch of times both when I'm playing it and when someone else is playing it, when someone goes to kill it, and you can just chain off two fast spells and flip it over into a land, making their removal spell fizzle. So it's tough to remove by being an artifact, and it's tough to remove because you can respond to attempts to remove it and turn it into a land. And at that point, once it's a land, and you can start tapping it to make mana and copy the spell that's being cast with Primal Wellspring, it's a fantastic card in every way, and I'm so glad to see people using it in this deck where it's just a perfect addition. Yeah, super, super big fan of that one. I've always wanted to see that one go off. And, uh, well, the, the few times that I have seen it go off, it um, it gets nasty extremely, extremely quickly. So this definitely seems like a place to abuse it. Yeah, you have to deal with it. And it's tricky to deal with in a lot of decks. The other one I really like seeing on here is God Eternal Kefnet. Uh, two blue blue for a zombie god. And this was in War of the Spark. Um, you may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. And if you reveal an instant or sorcery card, which is something there's going to be a lot of in this deck, um, you may copy that spell, and the copy costs two less to cast. It's a really difficult creature to remove. I think one of the things this kind of deck sometimes struggles with is ways to close out games. Kefnet can do that all in itself, in addition to providing a ton of value from the instant sorceries you're copying. Um, it's just a fantastic card. It's been an absolute monster in my Talran deck since I added it there. And this deck kind of plays similarly to that where you're just casting a lot of spells. I'm glad to see people picking up that card and putting it in here as well. So 
it's so funny to hear you say that this deck struggles closing out games. I've played uh, six games now where I was using Savin the Chronoclasm, and I was using Savin, not Elsha, and I found that I couldn't lose. I'm actually 6-0 uh, on, on the games with, with Savin, um, just within the pre-con environment, I should specify. I do think that Savin is actually better uh, from within the pre-con environment because it's such a very, very deeply defensive deck, um, and I didn't find it difficult to close out games within the pre-con environment. Again, I keep harping on that because once you move outside of the precon environment, I do definitely agree with you there. Outside of the precon environment, things are a lot more fast-paced, and I don't think the grindy style of that deck necessarily bodes as well. So it's, it's so interesting to hear you remark upon that, that it is a little bit harder to, to speed up that clock a bit, I guess, because I think that's that's definitely the case. Once you leave the, the safe world of the precons, things get a lot more difficult to deal with. Uh, one card, though, I don't really love that's being added to this deck a lot is Chain Reaction. Now, I actually like Chain Reaction as a card unto itself. Chain Reaction is two red-red, and it deals X damage to each creature, where X is the number of creatures on the battlefield. Very often, that's just a Wrath of God. However, it isn't Wrath of God. It, there are enough times when someone has some giant beater out, Chain Reaction doesn't kill it. And I think if you're playing you know, red-green or you're playing red-blue, you maybe don't have a ton of options for board wipes, and Chain Reaction is fantastic in those situations. You do have a ton of options here when you have white in your deck, whether it's just good old-fashioned Wrath of God that's always going to kill everything, or something like Austere Command that you can tweak around, killing certain things that are a problem. Um, I think people are running Chain Reaction because of the text on Savin that says prevent all damage that would be dealt to Savin the Chronoclasm. Um, I, I don't think keeping your 2-2 alive is maybe worth running a board wipe that's going to risk leaving someone else's ginormous creature in play because there aren't enough bodies in the battlefield. I don't think that trade-off is worth it. Yeah, and if you are running Elsha, I think especially yeah. that chain reaction doesn't necessarily doesn't really mesh. And and again, we got to remark upon how this particular page is very very split between recommendations for those two commanders, given the much more significant popularity of Elsha. She's uh, the number three or four most built commander from this set, and Savin's like in last place compared to all of the other commanders from Commander 2019. So it is a very interesting split to see those. I noticed, for example, that Pariah, the enchantment that redirects all damage dealt to you to the enchanted creature pariah doesn't show up on this page at all that would be a slam dunk for Sivin, yeah. but this page is so divided looking at cards for recommendations for elsha decks that are upgraded that that just means it's a little bit different so chain reaction is still kind of iffy it looks like within Sivin, but in elsha it especially doesn't seem great so if you are using this page to try and upgrade an elsha deck definitely take note of that because it is a little more awkward and you've got a lot better options within the white slice of the color pie i definitely definitely agree so when we move on now to the cards that people are cutting what do we find there um you know the first one they're cutting seems to be zatalpa primal dawn and zatalpa i think is is a neat dinosaur you know it, it is eight mana it's a ton but flying double strike vigilance trample indestructible every keyword ever printed that's pretty useful i just don't think it has any synergy really at all with this, what this deck is doing so i get why that's being cut um you know gerard weatherlight hero he's the the missing one color commander in this deck um I don't think we were terribly impressed with Gerard at all anyway, but, you know, he also doesn't tend to have any synergy with what this deck is trying to do. There's things like Pramicon, Sky Rampart, which was the third Jeskai commander in this deck. Again, it just doesn't really have any synergy here, so that makes sense why it's getting cut. A lot of these are um, fairly obvious cuts. The one I'm glad to see people pulling out is Fervent Denial. 
<laughs> I mean, man, five mana for a counterspell is all the mana in the world. You could be casting some absolute bomb counterspells for five mana, like Mystic Confluence or... Um, spell Swindle. Spell Swindle, right. Like there, There's just a, a bunch of absolute houses if you want to leave five mana free. This is not that. And then flashing it back for seven mana to counterspell... I mean, maybe if someone forgets it in your graveyard, but I, I think that's just a miserable counterspell that you are going to feel bad trying to save your butt with every time you try to do so. So I'm glad to see people are cutting that out of the deck. I super agree. This was one of the most interesting uh, things that I noticed from the Savin deck, because, again, that's the one that I happened to get during the Commander Party. Um, and there are so many cards that can be cast from the graveyard within that deck that don't seem to actually do a whole lot when doubled with Savin the Chronoclasm's ability, um, which is probably one of the reasons why Elsha looks like a more appealing option to lead the deck within the precon environment. Fervent Denial is definitely one of those cards, because you flash it back and you copy your counterspell, but you're probably only countering one spell anyway, so it feels redundant. Like, that doesn't actually do anything. And there are a lot of other spells that, that actually manage to do that. Again, within the realm of the precon environment, there are so many grindy moments that Savin's defense, I felt, was very, very valuable, and Elsha just whiffs too often within the precon environment. But when people are upgrading into a new deck, I do think that Elsha is more powerful. But again, I just wanted to kind of call out this card that you had mentioned, Fervent Denial, because it's one of those weird cards that, yeah, it says flashback on it, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily good with Savin. We've named a couple of those cards when we're looking at all these cards to cut like Trasani's judgment Matt, that you had mentioned yes it's populate on it but it doesn't mean it's great for the populate deck i named a card with madness that people are cutting that i'm glad that people are cutting yeah it says madness on it but it doesn't mean it's great for the deck and then here's a card that says flashback on it for the flashback deck that we're still happy people are cutting i just find that very very humorous because it's such a weird type of redundancy that doesn't end up mattering the keywords the cards with the keywords are not necessarily the things that we advocate keeping in the deck i just find that so funny now, there are a couple cards here that are being cut that I I do think you'd be well-served to maybe leave in the deck. One of them is a pretty hyped pre-release card, and that's Dockside Extortionist. And, you know, I mentioned cutting cards don't have much synergy. Dockside Extortionist doesn't necessarily have a ton of synergy with this deck, but it's an absolute beating of a card. I think I've seen it cast twice so far, and I don't think it made less than seven mana. Yeah, he's the goblin pirate that makes treasures yes. for each of your opponents, artifacts and enchantments. 38% of the decks are cutting this. I gotta imagine that that's not because it's bad in this deck. They just want to put it in another <laughs> was, deck, right? I was right? Say that. Like, I'm betting that's coming out because someone's jamming it in their Sahili deck or their Brea deck or something. Um, if you have the option to leave it in your deck, I would say leave it in because it's a really, really cool, effective card. But um, if you're pulling it because you only have one and it's going to go in your artifact deck, I guess I get that. The other one I kind of like in this deck is Purify the Grave. It's a one-mana instant. Exile target card from the graveyard, and it has flashback for a white um, to do the same thing. Um, you know, most of the time when you are trying to stop someone from doing graveyard stuff, you're trying to stop one thing. It's it, it's very rarely their entire graveyard. I mean, sure, occasionally there'll be a living death, a rise of the dark realms, or what have you. But most of the time, you just want that one thing gone, and... If you're relying on your Relic of Progenitus to do that, people can see that coming and they can respond to it. Purify the Grave in a deck where you're casting a lot of instants, you're often going to probably have mana free anyway, so it's going to be a surprise. And the beauty of that is you cause someone to waste mana trying to do a graveyard thing. You can then plink off that that targeted, you know, Elish Norn they're trying to reanimate or whatever they're trying to do. Um, and then you have the option to flash it back 
and copy that flashback with your commander's ability to hit two more things if you need to. I don't think it's an amazing card, but I think every deck needs to have some way to deal with the graveyard. Apologies to you, Joey. And um, I think this is a this is a really good card in this particular deck that lets you generate extra value by hitting multiple things and by forcing someone else to try to make a move first and then stifling that move. Dana, I will concede to you that one of the most important win conditions when I was playing this precon was an effect like Gutter Snipe, which allowing a spell that is very cheap and which can uh, provide me additional cast triggers to burn out the rest of the table with Gutter Snipe's ability, dealing two damage to everyone whenever I cast spells. I will grant you that, yes, that is actually surprisingly effective. However, I am extremely angry at you <laughs> for advocating that people exile my graveyards. How dare you? Well, that, which, that's how absolutely good, dare you. But that's a good point, too. Like, in addition to just how effective it is, it's a really cheap way to proc gutter snipe triggers or to proc extra um, tokens off of the young pyromancer or talrand or murmuring mystic or whatever so i mean even if you're just using it as a generic value generator for those cards it's pretty solid i think it, it has a lot of utility in this deck and and i wouldn't cut it for all of those reasons yeah a good rule of thumb is if joey doesn't want to see it when it comes to graveyard hate you should probably play it so i am all on board <laughs> right. with this <laughs> But yeah, and like in, in this deck specifically, yeah. if you're playing a bunch of flashback spells, you probably don't want rest in peace or relic of progenitus type of, types yeah. of effects because that's hurting you just as much as it's setting somebody else right. back. Yep. So something that's, it's kind of like casualties of war where it gets to pinpoint, knock off enough problem permanence. You get to pick off just enough problem cards and graveyards that this is probably worth running because that mass graveyard hate, that's going to backfire against you more often than not too. For sure. And again, I do think it depends on which of these commanders that you're selecting. One of them has a lot more flashback synergy than the other. But um, Dana, I can't say that I disagree with <laughs> you advocating that people use different types of graveyard removal to keep me on my toes, even though it makes me exceptionally angry at you. <laughs> your, contractor with uh, the, your contract with the Necromancer's Guild won't allow you to make that statement. <laughs> Alrighty, so that was Mystic Intellect. Let's move on now to Faceless Menace, the Sultai Morph Preconstructed deck. Let's move on to the cards that people are adding and subtracting from that one. Are there any cards that jump out to you guys on this page that people seem to be adding a whole lot that you think resonate really, really strongly with the deck? Matt, any standouts to you? I love, love, love Whisperwood Elemental. 61% uh, of decks are adding it, and it's just such a powerhouse of a card. Even if you're not playing Morph and Manifest shenanigans, but uh, for three green green, you get a 4-4 four, four that at the beginning of your end step... Uh, manifest the top card of your library, then you can sacrifice Whisperwood Elemental, and until end of turn, uh, face-up creatures, when they die, you basically get to manifest okay. the top card of your library when they do. It's such good wrath insurance. It builds an army. Uh, I love Whisperwood. It's probably a card that I would play in 100% of morph decks here. Yeah, definitely nice. Another thing that we're seeing are things that provide your deck with flash. Leyline of Anticipation, for example, and Vivian Champion of the Wild says that creature spells you cast can be cast as though they had flash, which of course synergizes exceptionally well with Kadena Slinking Sorcerer's ability, the face commander, the uh, commander here that <laughs> does some really annoying stuff. First face down creature spell you cast each turn is three less to cast, so your morphs are free, and that's each turn, so having flash does allow some free creatures on every turn, so it's no surprise to see that those are being added at such a high clip. 71% of decks are adding Vivian. 67% of these decks are adding Leyline. Definitely really cool. Dana, any standouts for you on this page? Ugin the Ineffable really jumps out at me 
ignoring the fact that it basically makes your morphs only cost one mana to cast, I'm, I, I liked Ugin before I put it in my Jero deck back when it was first released. I'm like, oh, that, that will be useful. And then I cast it and just went, oh, so now I can just play this expedition map for free and then drop this Felwar Stone for free and then drop this Mind Stone for free and this Scroll Rack for free and my Skull Clamp and my Soul Ring. And like all the mana rocks and things that you just naturally tend to run in decks anyway just wind up costing nothing. Like it's a really good card just in general in a deck. And then the fact that all your morphs come down for one mana it's a disgustingly effective card in general, and this is a fantastic deck for it. And it also, you know, has some card advantage baked in, and it has some removal baked in to things that are always useful. Um, I'm just glad to see it in this deck. It's a really good home for it, and it's a really, really good card. While we're on the cards to add page, I do want to make a mention of a card that isn't showing up on this list, but that I do think really needs to be. That's the card Mystic Forge, which people probably know was just restricted in the uh, Eternal formats um, per the last ban and restricted announcement. Uh, Mystic Forge is a four mana artifact that says you may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact card or a colorless non-land card. Plus, it says that you can tap it, pay one life, and exile the top card of your library. Now, Initially, when you look at this, it doesn't seem like it should belong, because it says you may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact or a colorless non-land card. So even if you can cast them, I mean, your morphs will be colorless creatures, but they're not colorless cards, right? So this shouldn't be able to cast you anything for free right? Well, when you dig a little deeper, it turns out it actually does synergize. There's something to do with layers here that is honestly way beyond my comprehension, but it is very, very enticing. I'm looking directly at the gatherer rules on gatherer.wizards.com right now for Mystic Forge, and it says, if the top card of your library has a morph ability, you can cast it face down from the top of your library, even if it's normally not a colorless card. What? That is bonkers, bonkers good synergy with Kadena. You can play free morphs off the top of your deck, and you can use Mystic Forge's ability to filter out cards that you don't necessarily need. That is weird. It doesn't show up on the cards to add pre-con upgrade uh, feature here for Kadena, but I do think that that should be on your radar because that is a very hidden, very sneaky synergy, which would make Kadena very, very proud for being so sneaky. I would recommend having that ruling handy to show people yes because <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. so unintuitive in every way possible that i think if you told me that i'd be like that doesn't make any sense and you're gonna need to show me that rule so yeah have that conveniently located on your phone so you can show people because yeah um that makes no sense looking at the card but knowing that's the case that absolutely should be a card you should be running in that deck. Yeah, that definitely is one of those yeah. cards that people aren't going to believe you, and they're going yeah. to make you <laughs> prove it. So, yes, I, I would not have known that either, Joey. And I'm glad, Dana, you suggested just keep keep the rulings in your pockets. Have it just bookmarked <laughs> on your phone, probably. Yeah. So is there a card that people are adding frequently to the Kadena deck that you maybe think they shouldn't be? Uh, uh, the biggest one that I think people should not be adding is Teamer War Shaman. Uh, it's six mana for a four or five. When it enters the battlefield, you manifest the top card of your library, which is fine. But the second ability is where I, I don't quite get on board. Uh, it reads, whenever a creature or whenever a face down creature uh, is turned face up, you may have it fight another target creature you don't control. That's fine. You know, I, if you're turning creatures face up and getting some sort of value in addition to it, that's fine, but if you look at a lot of morph creatures, they're not that big. You get a lot of three threes and and two twos. Uh, Void made a Void Mage Apprentice is a one one. 
having that fight another creature, that's not going to do anything. You're just going to lose your Void, Ma Void Mage Apprentice. Uh, same thing with your Afedo Runecaster. It's a 2-3. More often than not, you might pick off a Mana Dork, but that's not that great. You know, a bunch of these morph creatures are not that big. Brine Elemental, I think, is the biggest one, and it's only a 5-4. So I think the mm -hmm. upside of flipping one of your morph creatures to have it fight another creature, more often than not, you're not going to get anything better than a Mana Dork or maybe a Dockside Extortionist. Most of the time, you're going to just decline that. You're just getting wasted value. I think for six mana, there are much, much better cards you can be adding to the deck that you actually aren't going to decline to, to use their ability. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I mean, I think there's definitely a shortage of, of good morph um, things out there to put in the deck. So I understand why, you know, people are just doing a search on Scryfall for anything that interacts with morph at all and putting it in the list. This is one that you should really look a lot closer at what it does before you put it in because, mm -hmm. like you said, man, I just don't know how effective that second ability is. And if you're just running it as a six-mana 4-5 that manifests one thing in a deck that probably doesn't have much, if any, top deck manipulation, I don't think that's going to be worth it a whole lot of times. Yeah, and it's getting added into 50% of decks that, yeah. that, are, that are getting built, and I think that's entirely too many. I think... Ugh. You, you, I don't think anybody wants it, to be honest. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah, even if it gets you two bodies, and even if the face-down manifested card does draw you a card, that's not, like, you can get drawing cards for free with your face-down morphs already, so, I, yeah, I think that that's And, your, the, and they don't the cost six it. mana as right. well. Right. Well, so, and now that gives us a good opportunity to go down to the cards that people are cutting most often from this pre-con. We can see that they're not keeping in some of the other legendary creatures that came in the deck, like Rayami is being cut from 82% of these decks. Grismold is being cut from 87% of decks. But a stripe of cards that I also think really resonates in the same wavelength that you just mentioned with the Teamer Shaman, uh, some of these cards that you might not necessarily need and that are being cut very often that I super agree about are all draw cards effects. Tezzeret's Gambit, the draw two cards then proliferate spell. Thought Sponge, the weird one that enters with counters on it equal to the number of cards that someone else drew this turn and when it dies you draw cards equal to its power. Voice of Many, when it enters the battlefield you draw a card for each opponent who controls fewer creatures than you. Those are all being cut from like 80 to 70% of these precons so far and I cannot help but agree. Your morphs already draw you those cards and they can do so basically for free so these cards don't feel like they actually belong within this strategy and I'm very happy to see that those cards are also getting the cut from this particular pre-con. That way you can make room for more morph creatures that will draw you more cards. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, Voice of Many is just potentially a bad harmonize. Just play yeah. a harmonize. Because right. you, you might play Voice of Many <laughs> and you literally do not draw any cards. And it's it's bad after board wipes. Uh, Thought Sponge, I actually, I like it as a card. I don't like it here, though. So I, I definitely agree with your point that some of these draw effects, they're just not doing what you want to be doing. So what are some cards that we dislike that people are cutting? What are some things that you think that you'd advocate for people to actually keep in the deck, even though they seem to be taking it out more often? I mean, I, I think for a deck that seems very, very creature-based and it's reliant on, you know, creatures to to deal damage, um, I don't know why you'd be pulling Overwhelming Stampede from your deck or pulling Biomass Mutation. Um, you know, maybe that isn't your main strategy. Maybe there's some things you're going to be trying to do to win the uh, you know morph combo shenanigans whether it's pickles lock kind of things but i think overwhelming stampede as a fallback if nothing else when you can just just plow somebody in the face with 
a whole bunch of morph creatures. Same with biomass mutation. Um, it is always good to have a backup plan, and those are really solid backup plans. I I would be hard pressed to pull either of those cards from this deck. I mean, yeah, when we did our crossover episode on your other podcast, CMD Her Central, like I kind of mentioned, I played a game where someone played their biomass mutation with the morph deck very early, and then another like 12 turns went by or something, and they were like, huh, I don't, I'm, I'm having difficulty closing this game out. Right. I don't seem to have, I, I wish I'd kept my biomass mutation because that seems like one of the best ways that I could have actually killed people. And that's why the defensive deck that I was playing, I just never felt threatened by anything that he was able to do. So yeah, I definitely agree that these cards that can increase the power that you've got on the field is definitely going to help you actually, you know, finally get all the way to victory. So those are some good options to actually keep, even though they don't look like they're doing a whole bunch of morphy stuff, they actually can, you know, get the job done. And that's probably what you need after you've done all of your, you know, slinking, sneaky morph stuff. Then you just need a straightforward way to turn them all into big beaters. Yep, I definitely I another, definitely agree with all those points. Another observation that I'd like to make here, this is just kind of a funny thing, but comparing the Faceless Menace Precon upgrade page to the other ones, the cards that are added to the morph deck, we have a much higher percentage on all of those cards than the cards that are added to any of the other precons. Like the cards that are added to the morph deck are in the 60% popularity and 50% popularity range, as opposed to the other precons, we had cards that are being added about 40 or 30% of the time. And I think that just really speaks to how hyper specialized a morph deck really has to be. That also echoes back to the fact that Kadena is the only commander represented on this particular precons page because Volrath and Rayami are so distinct. That's just an interesting tidbit that the numbers seem to be pointing to a little bit that I just found was kind of funny. But the funniest thing of all that I do think is really hilarious, looking across all four of these different precon upgrade pages, <laughs> the card Scare Tiller, the Scarecrow that can get lands back from your graveyard, that is being cut consistently from all of the precons, and I just think that's really, really funny. Um, you know, Scare, Scare Tiller is an interesting card, um, but it, it's one that I think when I first looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's interesting and not quite good enough. And I think it's definitely not good enough in multiple precon decks that have access to green that are just going to do that ability better and automatically and not require you to play a four mana creature that's not at all a threat when it attacks. So um, it, it, it's a card that that's just too cautiously um, powered, I think. And as a result, it's not good enough anywhere. I think I think they might yeah. have had it a little bit better when they were designing it, but yeah, they they probably fussed with a little something and, like you said, maybe dialed it back a little too much. But hey, if you're playing Reaper King, I'm sure you're thrilled to get all those <laughs> all, all the all the cheap scare killers out there right now that everyone pulled from their deck. That is that's. <laughs> Pretty funny. That's actually something that I think is, uh, you know, noticeable across all of these precon upgrade cards as well. When you look at the cards that people are cutting, like, like you said, Matt, these aren't necessarily bad cards. These original cards that we're getting, Scare Tiller or Thought Sponge, you said you really liked. Uh, you know, Voice of Many can be interesting in other decks, but but that's just it. They're not inherently bad cards, but they just don't necessarily belong to the commander that they, you know, that they came in. They might actually be more specialized in other areas. So that's something else. That's another lesson that we can take when we're looking at the precon upgrade feature. You know, these cards are being removed from these commanders to go and find homes in other decks too. That's another lesson that you can take when you're looking at the numbers. It's not just, oh, these are the 
movies aren't as popular here, it's that potentially they're more popular elsewhere. Dana, like you mentioned with Dockside Extortionist, that's being cut a lot from the pre-con to go find a home elsewhere. So that's just another thing that I wanted to touch on because I think that that's a pretty funny observation to make. Do you guys have any other last minute, any other final thoughts that you have about the pre-con upgrade features here on EDHREC? Any other lessons that you'd like to take away? It's not really a lesson, but my most hilarious takeaway is if you look at the Morph pre-con upgrade page, you'll notice that 10% of decks are adding a certain card, a certain legendary elf warrior to and Simic for a 3-3 Joey. You know exactly who I'm talking about. I do know. You do know? About. You don't? It is a Zuri Cloth progress. <laughs> no, I, I, I said I do know what yeah. you're talking about. I just said it quietly with hatred. Well, I think that's pretty great. And it actually, it, it let's be honest, it does make a lot of sense because you can get experience counters whenever your morph enters the battlefield. I don't think it's great, but it's just very, very funny to me that a Zuri Cloth progress is being added to 10% of the morph decks. Yes, I'm glad that you think it's funny that a card is being added that I have been on the record as thinking is not a a good or well-designed card. Mostly to to the most chagrin that you can give. Um, Listen, I I think you should leave the trolling to Grismal the Dreadsower because he's a troll. And I think you should cut it out. He's also not being put in the decks as well. So um, you have plenty (laughs) of spare Grismolds lying around. That's true. Um, one thing I, oh, we didn't yeah. really mention at all, but there's there's a segment in all of these about lands that people are removing and adding that's separate from the the other cards as well. Um, I think that's a really really useful feature to to give a once over for on all of your decks as well, just because it's really easy to forget some of these lands that are out there and that exist. Um, some of these old cycles, like just off the top of your head, it's very easy to build a deck and forget that. Maybe the lands from Battle Bond exist because it's been a year at this point and they're not like often in trade binders, or it's easy to forget that the the Lorwyn filter lands are maybe out there and, and had gotten reprinted recently. So um it's that's a good feature, I would say, to to, to just give a once over and all of these decks to look and see, oh yeah, you know, this land is probably getting pulled from a bunch of decks because it comes into play tapped and these six lands are being added to all of them because they never come into play tapped. So I, I would definitely give that a look. Yeah, that's a, another great observation. Having the lands separate definitely helps clean things up, make it very easy for people to see. And yeah, improving your mana base is one of the best ways yeah. to help improve the deck overall too. So great observation. This is a really, really useful feature. Listeners, we hope that if you are you know, in the market to upgrade that pre-con, that you make use of this to find some good recommendations for what to remove and also what to add to spice up those new pre-cons. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on our community content spotlight section on EDHREC, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Arc Brown Ravager. Ravage. Are you saying Ravager? Arc Ravager.
Ravager. It's, it's, are we having like a cool whip type of situation I, right we, now? We 1000% we, we are. <laughs> what? I know that I'm not necessarily one to throw stones when it comes to creature pronunciations, but still. Ravager? Yeah, yeah Ravager? Joey, I, I was, I, it, you're saying Ravager. Oh, am I? <laughs> You, yeah, you did. You yeah, did. You're, you're adding an N. Literally that Art entire story. Ravage. You said oh, Ravager. I am. I am. Uh-huh. Um, that's not intentional. I, I, I don't think it's pronounced Ravager. I think it's pronounced Ravager. But yeah, I'm saying it. You're correct. All right. It's Ravager. Arcbound Ravager. Yeah. Arcbound Ravager. Arcbound Avengers Assemble. Yeah, no, Just that's like... not. Uh, yeah, no, you are correct. I'm not intentionally doing that. That's funny. Arcbound Plunger. Anyway...